This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Good morning, New Song Church. How are you doing this morning? It is so good to see you. You look good. And aren't you grateful to be a part of a church like this? I hope you're as excited about being here as I am, man. I love it every week. I look forward to it every week. Worship was so good. Katie did some Holy Ghost two-stepping this morning. That's pretty cool. If you got your Bible, open up to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. You know, Easter's just a couple weeks away. And uh, I hope that you have a plan in place for Easter because we, we look at Easter a little bit different. I don't know what kind of church you're used to, but for us, Easter is a, is a time when we not only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but we look for ways to make that resurrection power uh, available to people who need it. And, you know, there's a world out there that is dead in sin, that is lost and broken and hurting. And we want to bring people into an encounter with the resurrected Jesus because he's still in the resurrection business. Somebody say amen. amen. And so we, we want to uh, invite people to be here. And it's been said that this is a time of year more than any other time of year when people are more prone to come to uh, an Easter service, a church service, than any other time of the year. And so what a great opportunity is for us to welcome people into the family of God and bring them to an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so I got four things I want to encourage you to do over the next couple weeks as we prepare, prepare for this season. Number one is we want you to pray. Um, because, because here's what we want to do. We don't want people to just come to a service and hear a good talk and hear some neat songs and dress up and get their picture taken. What we want people to encounter is the resurrected Jesus. And we believe that prayer matters. And so we want you praying that, that the Spirit of God would be present in this place to minister the love of God, the healing of God, the help of God, and the resurrection power of God. Can somebody get on board with that? So we want you praying for that. The second thing we want you to do is we want you to invite slash bring that we are a people of invitation, that the message of Jesus is an invitation, and that we as his people, we invite people into the family of God. We, this is too good to keep to ourselves, right? And so we not only invite people, but we bring people. That means we do everything we can to make sure that they find their way here. That means if you've got to buy them lunch after church on Easter, if you've got to buy them dinner after church on Saturday night, whatever it takes, we're going to get them here. We're going to bring them here. We're going to make it possible. We've got to give them a ride, whatever. We're going to do what we can to get them here. The third thing we're going to do is we're going to serve. Somebody say serve. serve. Listen, again, it's not just about you looking really good in your outfit. You know, you got your fit, right? Not just you and your fit getting your picture done. Wear your outfit. We want that. Good. That'll be great. For the service you attend, cool. Okay. But then you're going to put on some work clothes for another service and you're going to come and you're going to serve in the parking lot. You're going to serve in a kid's class. We're going to serve because that's, think about it. That's what Easter is. Jesus served us in our greatest need. We were dead in sin and he came and he served us and it's because of him that we found life. So what if your serving leads to somebody else finding life? We're just crazy enough to believe that. Amen. So we're going to serve. And the last thing we're going to do is we're going to attend. Now that's the one that feels like, yeah, of course we're going to attend, but here's what I'm asking you to do. Okay. I'm asking you to attend, not a prime service like the one you're attending right now. We're going to have five services on Easter Sunday. You should have got some of these Easter Sunday and Saturday. So we've got a four o'clock Saturday. That's a prime. Somebody say that's a prime. Five forty-five. That's not a prime. You can come to that one. You're welcome at that one. Okay. 8.30 a.m., not a prime. You're welcome at that one. 10.15, prime. Don't come. <laughs> now, if you, if you invite somebody and that's the one, I get it. But if you're just attending, don't come to that service. Because listen, what if somebody shows up and like, they're invited and they show up and we don't have room for them? Like, I don't, want, I don't want that. I don't want people in overflow on Easter. So we got to spread it out. Somebody say spread it out. Look at the person beside you and say spread it out. And then 12 p.m., not a prime. You can come to that one. We'd love to have you at that one. At that one. Okay, so grab these cards. Uh, we got these for you. To, also, Good Friday, we're going to have an online Good Friday service where we'll take communion. Uh, Sarah shot the video for that this, this week. It's going to be good. If you know anything about Sarah, she brings it, so it's going to be good. And then uh, you also have this card here, and we left it like this on purpose because what we want you to do is we want you to write a personal note to that person. I want you to write it soon. And then I want you to put it in a prominent place and I want you to pray over it. And then I want you to put it in their hands and we're going to get them here. Amen. Amen. 
going to be so good. Make sure you do that. So proud of our missions team, all those who went to Cincinnati. Yes. Thank you, all you who went, all of you who sent. We also had a meeting this morning with 40 other missionaries who are going to Mexico this summer. Isn't that awesome? And we have a medical missions trip that we're going on in September. So we are, we are being the hands and feet of Jesus, and it's exciting. Hey, would you help me welcome everybody watching online? Let them know we're glad that you're here. Thanks for tuning in. John chapter 9, get your Bible out, get your Being Transformed journal out, get ready to take some notes. We're in a series called Signs. We've been looking at these miracles that Jesus did, these seven miracles that are performed in the book of John, but we're looking beyond the miracle to the sign behind the miracle. And if you've been a part of this series, you know that a sign is not, the purpose of a sign is not to just bring attention to the sign, but it's to point you to what the sign is pointing you to. Like if you see a sign on the side of the road, it's either pointing you to the fact that there's road work ahead or there's a taco stand up or whatever it may be but it points you to something else. And that's what these miracles do. The miracles are amazing, but they're, they're a sign that point us to truths about who God is. The character of God, the nature of God, the heart of God, what the kingdom of God is all about and our part that we play in the kingdom of God. So today in John chapter nine, we're gonna look at uh, the, the one of these signs that actually has more, this is the longest sign in the book of John, 42 verses, 42 verses. We're gonna plow through today. You guys ready for that? And we're going to look at the story of when Jesus heals a blind man. If you're taking notes, I'm calling this message double vision for a blind man. That'll make more sense as we go along here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's life to those who find it and we want to find it. We are looking to see it today. Where we're blind, Lord, help our eyes be opened. Where we're in darkness, Lord, help us to see Pray that you administer life and healing to every person in here. Lord, we want to be who you've called us to be in this day and age. We want to see you for who you are. We thank you for what you're going to do today. We give you all the glory and the praise and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Verse 1, John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we're one verse in. And I'm already going to stop us here. <laughs> this week as I was going through this, this, this text, reading it over and over again, studying it, there was a moment where it just kind of hit me how horrible it would be to be born blind. Like I, I don't think sometimes we think about what it would really mean to be born blind. To be born blind, to, to have, you know, we have five senses. And the, the sense really, our vision, the sense that gives us the most information to not have access to that, to not be able to navigate our way through life. Like you can't see and you can't, you don't know, like when you're in a room, you don't know who's there. You don't know who's there, who's not there. You don't know if you're alone or someone else is present. You can't, like the difficulty of just living your life with blindness. Beyond that, the lack of, having a lack of vision and what that would mean, like, like realize this, like you have no concept of color. Like you live in darkness. So when somebody talks about a blue sky, you're, you have no concept of that whatsoever. I, I was talking to somebody after the service and they, they were telling me they're a teacher and they actually have a student in their class that was blind. And they were telling me how interesting it's been to communicate with this child. And they told me this and it just broke my heart. This little girl asked her teacher, am I pretty? Like, we don't, we don't think about stuff like that, do we? Think about not being able to see the people you love. Like, to be born blind, not being able to see your, your parents or your family, your friends. Like, parents, think about not being able to see your babies when they're little babies. Not being able to see your little toddlers do the cute things that they do when you're raising them. It brings a smile to your face. Not being able to see that what you're saying, what you're doing brings a smile to somebody else's face. Like the, the affirmation that we receive through, through our sight. And let me take it a step further because, you know, we live in a world today where when we see someone blind, like our heart goes out to them, doesn't it? But in Bible times, it wasn't really that way. Because in Bible times, because of their lack of understanding, when they would look at a blind person, they would look at somebody that was very vulnerable and that they didn't have a lot of care for and didn't really want to make a way for because they didn't understand what was going on with them. 
So a person who's blind, they can't, they, they can't be educated. There's no process for education for them. They can't be married. They can't have children. They have to beg in order to survive. This is the way that they, they have to live their life. Uh, they would be not, they wouldn't be able to be associated with different celebrations. They wouldn't be allowed to be in the temple. Like they, they, they can't be a part of the church at this time. They're not allowed in that church. The, the different holiday traditions and celebrations they would be excluded from. Uh, their parents would look at them as, because of the culture and the thinking of the, of the day, you'll see this in a moment, their parents would look at them as a source of shame that they would want to disassociate from. Like this is what it was like to live as a blind person. It meant that the family that was meant to nurture you would not. It meant that the friends that were meant to companion you would not. It meant that the village that was there to raise you would not. It meant that the church that was there to guide you would not. All of these things that are supposed to be sources of compassion, sources of help, would be actually just sources of pain and hurt and brokenness. This is what it means to be a blind person in Jesus' day. And this is what Jesus is looking at. Beyond a person who can't see, he's seeing a person who's hurt. A person who's in all sorts of forms of darkness. And his disciples look at this and they say, what's the deal, Jesus? You're our rabbi, so that means you're our teacher. And so what's up with this? Like, whose fault is this? Is it his fault? The blind guy who was born blind, is it his fault? Or is it his parents' fault that he's this way? Now, the reason they're asking this is because karma thinking was very prevalent in this time. In fact, there was a, there was a, a teaching within the Hebrew church uh, a theology that was called theoc theodicy, which meant that they, they believed that the effects of your life were very much related to the, there was like cause and effect, like whatever you're dealing with is a direct result of something that has happened. And so it's interesting, think about that. The question is, whose fault is this that he was born blind? Is it his fault? And when I read that, I was like, how does that even work? <laughs> like, how is he, how could it be his fault? Well, here's how, because there was a teaching that, that there was actually prenatal sin at this time. And that a baby and infant in the womb could actually sin within the womb and it would be born. So, if, so, so get this, if a baby was born and it had any form of a defect, it was either the baby's fault sinning in the womb or it was the parent's fault. It was their sin that was passed on through the baby. And we know because of what happens later on in, in this chapter with the parents and this conversation they have with the Pharisees, where they're afraid that the Pharisees are going to throw them out of the temple. We know based on that, that at some point they had to go to the Pharisee leaders and say, listen, we know this child was born blind. We assure you it wasn't our sin. It was the baby's sin. Don't throw us out. Throw him out. That happened. So this is where this baby is, or this is where this blind man is. This is where he finds himself. And this is why his disciples are going, whose fault is this? Jesus answered, verse three, it was not this man sin, that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. Now, if you're not careful, you read that and you kind of think that Jesus is saying it's not his fault and it's not his parents' fault. It's actually God's fault. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. You need to understand something about the nature and the character of God's sickness, suffering, and death were never a part of, of God's original plan for creation, nor, no, nor are they a part of God's redemptive plan for creation. But the, but the reality is we live in a world where there is sin and there is brokenness and the world is fallen and we live connected to that world. And because of that, sometimes that stuff gets on us. And when it does, listen to me, it breaks the heart of God. And that's why God has gone to the lengths he's gone to, to redeem us from that. That's why he sent his son into this world to become one of us, to die on the cross so that we could be free from the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Amen. So, so Jesus isn't saying here, oh, it's not his fault. It's, it's not his parents' fault. It's actually God's fault. No, he's, he's pointing us to a whole nother idea here. In fact, he's saying to his disciples, guys, your thinking is wrong. You're seeing this the wrong way. In fact, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation. John 9, verse 3, he said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look at what he says here. Look instead for what God can do. Listen, some of you need to hear this this morning. You're, you find yourself in a place of darkness 
and you're looking for someone to blame and Jesus is looking at you saying, hey, quit looking at who's to blame and start looking at what God can do in the middle of this. Look at who he wants to be in the middle of this for you. Verse four, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Somebody highlight that, circle that, put a star beside that, do whatever you do to make a note that Jesus is the light of the world. And guess what? He's still in this world if he's in you, amen? amen. Verse six, the turn. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. It just got weird. <laughs> you ever been there before? Things are going along pretty good, and then somebody says something or does something, and it got weird real quick. It's kind of what this feels like, doesn't it? Jesus spits on the ground. Now understand, this wasn't like one spittle. In order for him to do this, he had to spit quite a bit. Spit quite a bit. Like he spit a few times. Now he didn't hawk a loogie. I want to say it because I've heard other preachers talk about that. No, of course he didn't hawk a loogie. There's no phlegm in the body of Christ. That was a dad joke. But he does have to spit quite a bit, right? Because what he's going to do is he's going to make these little mud patty things with his spit in his hands and he's going to put them on this blind dude's eyes. Seems pretty weird, right? Seems like it turned weird quick. But how many of you know Jesus ain't weird? And he's not just doing this random thing here. There's actually a point behind it. So what's the point? Well, let me take you back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1, the first page in Scripture, where God is creating the Garden of Eden as He intended it to be. He's creating a world the way He wants it to look. It says this in Genesis 1 verse 2, the earth was formless and empty and darkness. Somebody say darkness. Darkness covered the deep waters. So at this point, the, the world exists, but it exists in a state of chaos. In fact, that's what darkness means. That word darkness means it was in a state of chaos. And so what does God do? He begins to bring order to the chaos. He begins to start speaking into the darkness, into the chaos, and through his words, he creates order where there was once chaos. He creates light where there was once, once darkness. He says, let there be light, and there's light. He says, he speaks, and there's animals. He speaks, and there's plants. He speaks, and, and the earth is separated from the water, and the, the atmosphere is created. He speaks, and he brings order to chaos so that the world begins to image the way he wants the world to be imaged. And then he creates mankind. It says in verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So man is set apart to be an image bearer of God, to look like God in this world. And when he creates him, he changes things up a little bit. Look at this, Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man. How did he do it? with his hands. He formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So how did God create man? He took some dirt, he formed it, he breathed into it, and that dirt became his image, how he wanted man to look in this world. Okay, back to the blind man. How does God work a miracle to bring about God's image for eyes into this man whose eyes are in a state of darkness, whose eyes are in a state of chaos. He takes some dirt and he spits in it. Now, I, didn't, I don't know if you didn't see this, but I didn't see that in Genesis, right? The spit part. But I was studying this this week. It was really cool. I was in this coffee shop studying this. And as I started putting this stuff together, it just hit me. This is really cool, okay? The word spit is the word patue. Somebody say patue, which means to spit, right? It's also, think about this, it's also the sound we mimic when we're saying how we spit. Patue, right? That's what we do. Now, here, here's what happened. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm meditating on this. And I was just kind of thinking about that word, and I had my hand like this, and I was like, patue. And it hit me. Take your hand. Everybody take your hand. Put your hand in front of your face. And don't spit into your hand, because that would be weird. But I want you to make that sound. Patu Some of you ain't doing it. Get your hand up here, dude. Put, let's do it. Patue. 
What'd you feel? You felt breath is what you felt. Okay, some of you getting ahead of me now. Slow down. I ain't done. Okay, so he takes some dirt with his hands, spits into it. So when he spits into it, his breath goes into it, but also his saliva goes into it. What is saliva? Saliva is water. 99% of saliva is water. One other part of it is enzymes that help you break down food and all that kind of stuff, but that's not what the point is. The point is a lot of it is water. What is water a picture of? It's a picture of the Word of God, but it's also, check this out, it's a picture of the power to provide deliverance and destroy evil. So follow me, church. Jesus in this moment isn't doing some random weird act to kind of show that He's really cool and freak people out and how He can perform a healing. He's actually He's actually working one of the oldest tricks in the book, quite literally. He's taking his hands and his breath and his word, and he's bringing his image into this guy's eyes. He's speaking into darkness, into chaos, and bringing it into order. So there's one thing left to do. This guy has to walk by faith in obedience. So look at the next verse, verse 7. Go, he told him. Somebody say, go. Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. So get this church. Everything is in place for this dude's healing. The word is there. God has, has, has set this all up so that this guy can come, come from this place of chaos to this place of order. But he's got one thing to do. He has to go. He has to walk by faith. In fact, that's what Jesus is alluding to in verse four when he said, this happened that the works of God may be displayed in him. Well, what are the works of God? You go back to just a few chapters, John chapter six, verse 29. Jesus tells us exactly what the works of God are. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So what's the work of God? It's believing in Jesus. It's believing him. Listen, enough that you are willing to move based on what he says, that you're willing to take him at his word and walk by faith and believe what he's telling you to do and walk it out. And so Jesus is saying this when he says, this, this is done so that the works of dis- may be displayed through him. He's saying, guys, what you're going to see is you're going to see faith walked out in this guy's life. Someone who's taking me at my word, walking it out and see them redeemed through it. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So it says this, verse seven. So the man went. In other words, he obeyed. Now, let me, let me bring this back here for just a moment because we forget he's still blind. He's not healed yet. Everything's in place, but he's not healed, healed yet. He has to go and to wash. And it says that he went. Now he's still blind. The pool of Siloam is a half a mile away from where he's at. He has to walk down the southern steps of the temple. He has to walk through the streets of Jerusalem, stumbling his way. He's blind. He's in darkness, stumbling his way there, probably asking for directions in the process of this. And all the while, He's got these musty spit patties crusting on his eyes. You could argue that things look pretty bad right now, right? That things look worse than they even did before. But they don't to him because he's got a word from the Lord. And he is quite literally walking by faith and not by sight. Not basing his walk on what he feels or what he sees right now because he sees nothing. He's basing his walk on what the word of God has said to him. And so it says this verse seven. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. Let me ask you a question. When was he healed? Was he healed when he heard about Jesus? No. Was he healed when he had his first encounter with Jesus? No. He was healed when he took Jesus at his word and he obeyed him and he walked out what Jesus was telling him to do. So here's a truth for you to write down in your being transformed journal. The encounter with Jesus began the journey of faith that led to the healing. Now, I'm I'm guessing in this room, there's probably some people in here who find yourself in a place where there's some darkness. And maybe you find yourself in a place where you're going, God, why don't you just fix this? Like I see in your word that you want to. And I want it to be fixed. And I'm praying, I'm asking you to fix it. Why don't you just make it go away? Make the darkness go away. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because there's a journey God wants to take you on. And it's through the journey that God's going to lead you to a place where you see yourself like never before. And you see the world like you've never seen it before. Think about this. After this guy goes to this pool of Siloam, he has to bend down and wash his eyes, wash this crust off his face, right? 
After he does that and he opens his eyes, for the first time he sees. And who's the first person he sees? He sees himself in that water. For the first time in his life, he sees what he looks like. He gets a true reflection of who he is and what he looks like. Listen, maybe God's got you on a journey right now. But it's through this journey that he's going to lead you to a place where you finally see yourself the way he wants you to see yourself. You see beyond your mistakes. You see beyond your past to who Jesus says you are. And beyond that, now you can see the world the way he's called you to see it. Sometimes we want the thing. And listen, I want you to know, God wants to pull you out of darkness. Whatever darkness you find yourself in, man, God wants to help you with that. But so often we just want the thing and we don't realize that there's power in the journey, that there's help in the journey, that not only the journey leads us to the healing, but it helps us to carry the healing and help bring the healing to other people. That's what we see in this guy's life. This encounter with Jesus began something powerful in his life. And you would think that the town would be in an uproar over this, like it's excited, partying, like his family, his friends would just be like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Jesus did this. This is incredible. He can see. He's blind and now he can see. Like you would think that everybody would be so excited, but that's not at all what we see in the text. Look at this with me. Verse eight. We're going to read a bunch of text here, but I'm going to unpack this for you. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him which I think is funny. So apparently you can be so thoroughly changed through an encounter with Jesus that people don't even recognize you anymore. And just so you know, that's how it should be. The encounter that you have with Jesus should leave the people that were around you before going, what happened to you? You don't even look like the same person. I don't think that's you anymore, right? That's how it should be. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. Somebody say, I'm the man. You're not, Jesus is. Okay, how then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. And you're going to see this over and over again in this text. He just gives his answer. He doesn't have all the answers, but he gives his testimony. He shares what God has done in his life and how it worked. And it's interesting here because from here we go into 20 verses that are devoted to like the controversy and the and conversations that are happening with this group of religious leaders where they're trying to figure out is this truth or is this fake news verse 13 they brought to the pharisees the man who had been formerly born blind now it was the sabbath day when jesus made the mud and opened his eyes and just so you guys know that's going to be a problem like these guys are going to struggle with that the Sabbath day. How dare Jesus help somebody, heal somebody on this day? Verse 15. You guys with me? Okay. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, I love this. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Like he's just simplifying it. Let me give you the Cliff Notes version. Mud, see, there you go. So they said again, uh, wait a minute. Some of the Pharisees said, I got lost here. Oh, there we go. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Why do they think that? Because of this. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to this blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet? Like, I just want you to see, he doesn't know. He doesn't have all the answers. These religious people know a lot more about the, 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 the scrolls and the word than this guy knows. But he's just given his answers. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received the sight. Verse 24, so for a second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. They're saying Jesus is a sinner. Why? Because he's performing this miracle on the Sabbath. He's a sinner. He answered, the blind man answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Again, doesn't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, 
Now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Same questions. He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) That didn't go over well. (laughs) Verse 28, and they reviled him. That means they violently began to scream and yell and hurl insults at him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, the blind man. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, blind, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. In other words, they're saying, you're one of those prenatal sin babies and that's why you were born the way you were. But they're also saying, you ain't like that anymore though. Because they're saying you were blind, but you're not blind anymore. They're admitting you've been healed. And you would teach us? How dare you? Someone in sin trying to teach us. And this is the status verse. And they cast him out. The Pharisees have a real problem with this healing stuff, with what Jesus has done here. Why is that? Why, why are they being so difficult about that? I mean, is it just because it's the Sabbath? Well, yes, but it's more than that. See, this is a sign, Remember? And this sign in particular is a big problem for them. Remember John 20, he says that these signs are to point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the verse that we're we're learning, right? And this sign in particular is a sign that points to this guy's the Messiah. Like this is Messiah stuff right here. Because listen, no one had ever been healed of blindness up to this point. Look back at verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This has never happened before. And the Hebrew people know, especially the Pharisees who are supposed to be the people looking for the Messiah, they know that when the Messiah shows up, it's prophesied in the book of Isaiah over and over again that when the Messiah shows up, he's gonna do something that's never been done before. He's gonna open the eyes of a blind person. And it's never been done And now it's being done. And by the way, this is the miracle Jesus does more than any other miracle in his ministry is opening blind eyes. And they got a problem because this is not going according to plan. He did this on the Sabbath. He's doing Messiah stuff. He can't be the Messiah. He's not following our rules. He's not following our traditions. He's not doing things the way it's always been done. God, you're supposed to do this the way it's always been done. You're not doing that. And so they're struggling with this issue. You know, it hit me as I was studying this this week. There's a lot of blind people in this story. It's not just a dude at the beginning. That's the obvious one. The guy in the beginning who can't see, that, that has an encounter with Jesus and receives his sight. There's also a bunch of people that think they can see, that have an encounter with Jesus, that stay in the dark. The Pharisees, these are the guys, they're supposed to be looking for the Messiah. They're supposed to be the ones that help identify that he's on the scene. And yet here he is and they can't see him because they're so caught up in their traditions. They're so rigid in their ways. So they're they're so locked up into their box of how they think it should, it should go that when Jesus really is on the scene doing the real Messiah stuff, because remember Jesus came only to do the will of the father. So what does he do? He goes about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. He's going about, he's seeing people, he's freeing people, he's healing people, he's saving people, he's preaching good news and they don't want anything to do with it. And so because of that, you've got this group of Pharisees who are blind and they're blind to the love of God, they're blind to the work of God, they're blind to the move of God and so they miss out. They're right there on the scene during the greatest revival of all time and they don't get to be a part of it. Why? Because they're so caught up in their ways of thinking. But thank God that that's the only time in human history that's ever happened. There's never been a group of religious people since then who got so caught up in their traditions of how they think it should go that they missed out on a new move of God. Well, the sad truth is we know that that's not true. In fact, this actually touches, this message in particular touches 
our family very closely because we had something very similar to this happen in, in our family. Uh, my mom, when she was 17 years old, she got saved. She'd grown up in church, or around church really, but she'd never really surrendered her heart to Jesus. But at 17 years old, she got saved. Well, about six weeks later, um, she was with this group of her friends. There was kind of this, this revival, this move of God that was taking place among these people. And this group of her friends who helped lead her to Christ, they were at like a Bible study and they were, they were studying about healing. Now, something about my mom, when my mom was five years old, uh, she was running outside to, to greet her father as he came home from work one day. And it was an icy, cold West Texas day. There was ice on the front porch. And as she ran out to meet him at five years old, she slipped on that ice, fell and hit her head. And when she hit her head, it caused a, a, a brain defect within her mind to cause one of her eyes to cross. And so now her eye is crossed and it messed up her vision. And she would go have surgeries. They tried all sorts of different ways to fix it, but nothing, nothing would fix it. So from five to 17 years old, she has a crossed eye. In elementary school, in junior high, high school. And she talks about like, you know, kids were mean, right? And she dealt with all of that, all that rejection, all of that stuff, right? And so 17 years old, she's been saved. And now she's at this, this Bible study. And these guys say, you know what? We, we believe that God can heal you. Do, you. do you want us to pray for you that you can be healed? And she's like, yeah. They're like, okay, well, we read that you were supposed to anoint you with oil. So you got any oil? And she had Crisco. <laughs> so I kid you not, they got Crisco oil. They anointed my mom's head with oil. They prayed for her. And miraculously, her eye popped into place and her vision went 20-20 in a moment. Yes, give glory to God. Okay, that's not where the story ends though. In this little town where she's living, there's a church, a particular denomination that her parents belong to that doesn't believe that Jesus is still in the healing business. And so the, the elders of this church call up my mom and they say, we heard that you believe you've been healed. <laughs> she said, I don't believe I've been, I mean, I know I've been healed. Like Jesus healed me. And they said, well, we don't believe that. We believe this is a lying vanity from the devil. She said, no, you, and, and, and like I said, her, her family went to this church. She said, you guys know me. You know my dad, you know me. Like you saw me as a kid. You've seen me with this. It's, I don't have it anymore. You saw me with eye patches on my eyes and, and it's gone. I prayed and Jesus healed me. And they said, well, we don't believe this is a work of the Lord. And so here's the thing. You can, you can come to our church if you will deny that this happened to you. She said, I guess I'll have to find another church. And I was asking her about it this week and I, I called her up and I was talking to her about it. And I was like, how did you feel in that moment when this was going on? Like, were you just so mad? Cause I know my mom, she's sweet, but <laughs> she said, no, I wasn't mad. She said, I was sad. I was sad for them. She said, because this group of us, we were on fire for God. And we were excited. And there was a move of God happening with these people. And these guys, there was no life in them. There was no joy. And you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's no strength in this church. This church was dwindling, dying. And all that little group, they went on and they pastored churches and started moves of God. In fact, guess what? You're a part of a move of God that was born out of that. But that church that, she, that called her up, it's gone. It no longer exists. And I think we hear these stories and we go, well, man, I would never do that. Like I wouldn't be the guy that if somebody got healed, I'd be like, nope, it's from the devil. No, I'm not going to do that. But here's where, we can, here's where we can make the mistake is we make the mistake of thinking we get so attached to our traditions. We get so attached to how God may have done stuff in the past that we can't see what he's doing in, in the current day. So here's the reality of how the kingdom of God works. Methods change, but the message doesn't. The message or the method by which God brings about revival in a generation shifts from generation to generation because generations face different things and God has to reach people in different ways. But the message, hear me, the message, we ain't changing. What's truth is truth. What's sin is sin. Jesus is the way and he's the only way to go to the Father. And, and making Jesus the Lord of your life means that he's the boss. 
that you die on, you die to self and you live for him and you go after him with everything you've got. Like we're not watering that down. That's the truth of the message. But the method by which we bring that message to a generation may be a little bit different. I've been at church long enough to, to experience decades of church life. And I remember the 80s. Anybody remember the 80s? Remember 80s church? 80s church looked different than 90s church. 90s church looked different than early 2000s church. Message was the same, but it looks different. Early 2000s church looks very different than today's church, and I'm grateful. But, but if we're not careful, what we do is we get so attached to our, our methods that we miss out on what God may be doing, and we find ourselves like the Pharisees on the outside in darkness. And I don't want to be that. Listen, I, I really do believe that the best days of the church are ahead of us. I really do believe that. I believe our best days are our next days. And I don't want to miss out on what God's going to do in the days ahead. So our heart, listen, our heart as the people of God needs to be God. I hold, I hold fast to the message. But how you want to do it, I say, I don't know. So teach me, show me, and I will walk by faith out whatever you're calling me to do. This is who we want to be as a church. Somebody say amen. amen. And it's ironic because in this story, and when I say ironic, I mean that truly, not in the sense of the Alanis Morissette song where nothing is actually ironic, but actually ironic. What's ironic about this story is that the guy at the beginning who sees worse than anybody ends up being a guy at the end who's seeing better than almost everybody. Because not only does he receive his physical healing, his physical vision, he also receives spiritual vision. Look at this, verse 35. And I want you to notice the sweetness of God here. The sweetness of Jesus. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And some of you need to hear this. Some of you have experienced being cast out. And Jesus knows. He heard it. But he didn't just hear it. Look at what it says. And having found him, he went looking for him. He heard what they did to him and he went looking for him. And I want you to know if you've been hurt, if people have hurt you, if you've been cast out, Jesus loves you and he is so sweet and he's looking for you. You need to recognize he's looking for you. And he said to him, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, the blind man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see or think they see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus told them, if you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. But now that you claim to see, your sin remains with you. In other words, Jesus says, yup, you blind. Because you have no humility and no faith. The Messiah is in front of you and you is missing it. But this blind guy who's humble and willing to walk in obedience, he receives his sight. And not only does he receive his physical sight, he receives his spiritual sight. Double vision for a blind man. So signs, right? What are the four signs that are in this story? There may be more than that. I, I saw four things that this story reveals about the nature, the heart, the character of God. Here's the first one. Jesus is the light of the world who gives sight to the spiritually blind. That's who Jesus is. He says it in verse five, I am the light of the world. And I want you to know in any area of your life, listen, we live in a dark world. How many of you would agree with that? There's a lot of darkness in this world. And any area of your life where you are not applying Jesus to that area of your life, I want you to know you're in darkness there. If you're not applying the light of Jesus to your marriage, then there's going to be areas in your marriage where there's darkness. There's going to be some blind spots. If you're not applying Jesus, the light to, and, and his teaching and his ways and the word to your finances, you're going to be in some darkness. You're going to have some blind spots. If you're not applying Jesus and his teaching and his ways to the raising of your children, and a lot of people are doing this today. They, they don't... They, they don't, they, like we bought in this lie of like some Christians. And if I just put my kid in a Christian school and if I just take them to church enough that like then they'll just, they'll catch it. Listen, that's not the goal here. 
You're a disciple and you're supposed to make disciples. And who is a, is a closer disciple for you to make than your children? So if you yourself are not purposefully looking to apply the word of God and teach your children the ways of God and the love of God and the heart of God, bringing light to them yourself, guess what? There's going to be some darkness. There's going to be some blind spots. Your kids are going to be in some darkness. We, any area we don't apply Jesus to that area, we're in darkness. So listen, we have the light. We just got to apply it. Some of you, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. So you're living in darkness. You're blind to the truth of the word. And all it takes is a step towards the Lord. All it takes is being willing to recognize who he is and what he wants to do for you. And you can step into the light and you'll begin to see like never before. Here's the second thing. Encounters with Jesus can begin a journey towards healing. It's a journey. And we want things to be immediate, but it doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes there's a journey and it's in the journey that we receive a vision. We receive a vision for who we are, who we're called to be, a vision for what this world really looks like and how we're called to walk in this world the right way with God. And maybe for you, God's starting to, to reveal a journey that's ahead of you. Maybe you recognize my marriage isn't where it needs to be. And there's a journey ahead of you. And God's inviting you to take some steps of faith, to be obedient, to take some steps, to go to get some counseling, to go get some help, to walk out whatever it is. Wherever it is, where there's some area of your life, are you willing to take God at his word and go the journey he's calling you to? Because on the other side of it is new vision. It's new life. It's light on the other side of it. Encounters with Jesus begin the journey. Are you willing to begin that journey, to walk with him? Here's number three. This, this reveals this sign that we, we partner with God to eliminate blindness. Think about this guy. He gets a word from Jesus, and then he obeys the word, right? So his, his, the work of the healing was brought about because he heard and then he obeyed. I think one of the great problems that we face a lot of times when it comes to obedience is we're not hearing. And at the risk of sounding like the pastor who's beating that drum of like, guys, we're on our technology too much. We're too occupied with all the things of this world. At the risk of all that, I, I want you to know, you need to recognize that this stuff is a problem. We're so busy emailing and texting and scrolling and trying to build our own name and our own thing. And we're missing out. And, and, and understand this stuff is forming you. And if you think you're just gonna accidentally step into God forming stuff, it don't work that way. You're going to have to take some practical steps to counterform the stuff that you have formed in you. And so I want to give you one way to do this. Something that I've been practicing recently that's been so helpful uh, for me. It's called the prayer of examine. The prayer of examine. And what you do with the prayer of examine is it's at the, it's at the end of your day and you go to the Lord in prayer and you invite him into your day to speak to you about your day to show you where he was in your day. It's based on Psalms 139, where, where David says, search me and know me. So what you're doing is you're, you're debriefing your day with the Lord and you're inviting the Holy Spirit to show you where he was, how he was teaching you, how he was shaping you, what he was doing within your day. It's kind of like this. How many of you guys remember DVDs? Anybody remember DVDs? One of those kind of 90s, early 2000 things, DVDs, right? I used to love DVDs, okay? One of the reasons why I love DVDs is because on a lot of these DVDs, they had this, this feature where you could watch the movie with the commentary of the director. And I was the nerd who would do that because I liked filmmaking, I like art, I like that kind of stuff. So I'd watch the movie. You watch the movie first, but then you watch it a second time. And how many of you know, you just watch a movie the second time you pick up on stuff you didn't see the first time, right? But then you watch it with the director, the guy who made the movie. And you start seeing, he points out all these things and you're going, oh yeah. And then you got that stuff and you'll, you, it's like you can't unsee it, right? This is what it's like to do the prayer of examine. You've already lived your day. You've already gone through it once. You lived it. And now you're going back through it and you're inviting the director to show you things you didn't see. Show you how he was in the middle of your day. Show him, show you where he was in your day. It's so cool. I, I've been doing this and it's amazing how often I find myself at the end of the day going, God, you're so awesome. I had no idea. Like that was you. That moment was you. That word. I, I see how this ties into that and that. It's, it's, it's so cool. Richard Foster talking about the prayer of, of examine. He says, we prayfully reflect on the thoughts, feelings, and actions of our days to see how God has been at work among us and how we responded. And it's through the prayer of examine that we start to recognize like that moment 
that, that, tech, that text that seemed random, that conversation, that running into that person we haven't seen in a long time, maybe it wasn't a coincidence, maybe it was God. So I wanna encourage you to like practice this, put this into your life, start doing this at the end of your day, just as you're getting ready to go to sleep, just have a moment where you just go through your day with the Lord and invite him to speak to you and show you what only he can show you. And here's the fourth and final thing that this, this sign of this man being healed shows us is no one can argue you out of your testimony. One of the great things about being a part of the family of God is not only did we get to see God in us and see God around us, but we also get to see God work through us. And this is like so amazing. And in fact, this is a verse that stood out to me this week as I was reading this. John 9 verse 4, look at what Jesus says. We must work the works of him who sent me. Now, I don't know if you noticed, he's talking to his disciples here. I don't know if you noticed, they didn't have a lot to do with this guy being healed, right? Like, there was no we in the story. It was Jesus who did the miracle and this guy that walked it out. But Jesus is pointing out a greater truth. And the truth is this, we're invited into the work that God wants to do. God's inviting you to the story. He's inviting you to be a player in the thing that he wants to do. That's why a couple chapters later in John 14, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the works that I do, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. But here's what we do. We disqualify ourselves from this because we get concerned. You know, Easter's coming up and maybe you're a little concerned. What if I go up to somebody and invite them to church and they ask me some stumper question I don't have the answer to? Like, what's the Trinity? How do you know that the Bible's truth? And I'm going, uh, I don't know. And you look like an idiot. And so I just, I'd rather not have that happen. So I'll just avoid the whole thing. And we disqualify ourselves. But listen, you, you know, just so you know, you're never going to know it all. You're, you're just not. But you don't have to. And that's the beauty of this story. This guy doesn't know it all. What he knows is what he's experienced. And so that's what he keeps coming back to. He says this, verse 25, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I was blind and now I see. So when someone comes up to you and you ask them and they ask you some question you don't know the answer to, here's what you say to them. You say, man, I, I don't know the answer to that, but here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. I couldn't see, any, see anything and now I feel like I can see everything. I was addicted and now I'm free. I was hurt and now I'm healed. I was bound and now I'm walking in freedom. And, and I don't know what you want to do with Jesus, but I'm just telling you, bro, he's changed my life. And I believe he can change yours and, and he wants to. Would you be open to that, to what he wants to do in your life? I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He says, a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. No one can argue with your testimony. So quit trying Quit trying to debate people. That's not the point. And just, just try to demonstrate. Demonstrate the love of God. Demonstrate the heart of God. Okay, so I got a question for you. And really, it's a question for you to ask God. Here's the question. Where are you working and how can I join in? We find ourselves in a season like this, Easter season. We need to ask ourselves, where are you working, God? And how can I join in? Let me help you with this. Let me tell you a place where God is working right here in this house. And God is on the move in this place. I don't know if you know it, but what God's doing in our children's ministry, what God's doing with our students, what God's doing with these missionaries. And man, we're hearing testimonies all the time, amazing testimonies of God's faithfulness, of people experiencing breakthrough and healing and revelation and wisdom. And man, God is on the move in this place. My question is, are you joining in on that? Are you a part of that? Are you actively engaged with what God is doing in this place? Like, like listen, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get something from you as I talk about this stuff. I want you to know God's got something more for you. God wants to do something through you. You're called to be a part of the work of God. So are you, are you on a serve team? Because we still need you. There's, there's more people to be reached and we need more people joining in to help us to reach them. Are you going, men, are you going to stuff like men's breakfast? You say, well, I've got some community around you. Okay, cool, but... What if there's men at men's breakfast that need you? They need to hear your story. They need your prayer. You know, we pray at men's breakfast. We, we need you to join us in that. Join, we, really, we really believe in prayer. We really do here. And we'd love you to be a part of it. Midweek prayer. We'd love you to join. We're praying for revival. We're praying that God would change the city. 
We're praying that this darkness would be broken over this city and that people would come to a saving grace of Jesus, that people wouldn't practice a form of religion, but they would come to know God in a real way. We're, we're, we're believing God for that. We're praying for these things. We, we, we want you to get in a small group. Are you, are you joining in? Well, there's no small group that, you know, really like is what I'm looking for. Okay, create it, start it. We'll help you do that. We'll help you establish it. We need you to get on board. We're doing Serve Saturday. We want to reach out to the community and do more than just say we, we care about you and you're going to hell. We want to actually go into their world and reach them with the love of God and give them tangible things that, that soften their heart to the message of Jesus, whether it's at this church or somewhere else. Are you helping us out with that? Mission trips. We've got mission trips. You say, well, I can't, I can't go. Like my schedule doesn't allow me to go. Okay, but can you send somebody else? We've got missionaries who need funding so they can go. You know, we got students here. We got kids in our church that their parents don't go to our church. They come on their own Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings all by themselves. And they don't have a lot of support. And they're trying to raise money to go to camp this summer. And they're trying to raise money to go on a mission trip. And, and they're having a hard time. And, and you could help them. You say, I could send them. Okay, then do it. Help them. Be a part of that. Be a part of the move of God give. We've got stuff like Embrace Grace. Sarah was telling me yesterday, they had their Embrace Grace baby shower. It was amazing. Where they just love on these girls. But they, she was saying, we, need, we still need more help. We need people to help us with childcare for Embrace Grace. We need people to help us with the baby shower. We, need, we still need more help. Listen, God's doing stuff in this house and we still need your help. You, you don't get to make Jesus the Lord of your life and sit up in the stands and cheer on everybody else. You're a player in the game. Get on the field. Are you in the game or are you just watching from the sidelines? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna ask you, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? I believe God's stirring some hearts today. I wanna to invite the prayer team to come down at this time. And I wanna encourage you, don't check out. Like really don't check out. This is one of the most important moments of the service. I truly believe that. As I was praying over this message, there was four things that God kinda of told me to invite people to receive prayer for. Number one is this. You need light. You need light. Maybe you need light because you don't know Jesus. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never truly surrendered your heart over to God. Or maybe you've drifted away from the Lord and you don't, you're not as close to him as you once were. And you would say, honestly, if I asked you, you would say to me, I, I'm, God feels a million miles away from me. I don't feel like I'm close to the Lord. Well, you can be close to the Lord. It just takes you stepping out in faith, you being willing to hear these words and obey. And like the man who walked to the pool, you, you, you make a walk and believe that on the other side of that walk is new vision. If that's you, I wanna encourage you to come down and receive prayer today. Maybe you're here today and you need faith for the journey. You're recognizing that there's some stuff ahead of you and you find yourself in some darkness and you wanna be out of that darkness. You're addicted to something. You're struggling in your marriage. You're, you're, there's an area where there's darkness and you, you want to begin this journey towards healing. You want to begin this journey towards your blind eyes being opened. If that's you today, we want to pray with you. We want to help you to begin that journey. Maybe today you sense that you have a blind spot. You just There's something in you that goes, I know I'm missing it. I don't know what I'm missing, but I know that there's, there's a blind spot. There's a dark spot and I, I want to get rid of that. And so we would love to pray with you that God would give you wisdom and revelation that through the Holy Spirit, you would know exactly what's going on so you can walk out in freedom what Jesus Christ has made available to you or maybe you're here today and you want to invite somebody into the family of God and you need boldness to share you're afraid to share and you're, you're praying your prayer would be God I need boldness we'd love to pray with you for that whatever it is maybe it's something else maybe you need healing in your body maybe you need uh, wisdom for direction for your, your, your life, whatever it may, may be, if it matters to you, it matters to God. Amen. And so whatever the case may be, we're going to invite you here in a moment. We're going to stand. And, and if that's you, I want to encourage you to come down and pray with one of our altar ministers this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to go back into this time of worship. Don't check out. Don't disconnect. Engage just a little bit more with the Lord. I believe it's in this moment that some of the greatest work is going to take place today. So if you're here today and you need the light, you need the light of God in your life, you recognize I need Jesus. I need a fresh filling of, of, of the Spirit of God and the power of God in my life. You, 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 gotta, you want faith for the journey. You, need, you, you, you recognize you maybe have a blind spot in your life or you want boldness to share. If any of that is you or something else, tug it on your heart today. I want to encourage you to come down, make your way down. Lord, we thank you 
for this incredible message and what it shows us and this sign and what it reveals to us about your heart for us and what you want to do in this world in us and through us. And I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today who has a prayer need of any kind, specifically for these things I've invited, Lord, that you would help them to step out in faith, that, that just like they've heard me invite them to this, that they would hear that same call, like when Jesus told the blind man, go and wash, that they would see that on the other side of this is, is, is their eyes being opened, is the light of Jesus being revealed, Lord God. I pray for faith to step out and follow after you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.